This is Adam Carricker on the ticket. Position right of the quarterback out of the shotgun. First and 20. Jailbreak screen in the air. It is tipped. It is intercepted by Carricker at the Missouri 21 yard line. Live from the heart of Lincoln, America, eight year NFL vet and All American defensive lineman Adam Carricker. Shotgun snap to average. He's got the left arm going, and now he's got a whole lot of Adam Carricker. Who rips him down inside the 25 yard line. On 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Here's your host, Adam Carricker. Welcome, everybody, to Adam Carricker on The Ticket. And, yes, before you ask the question, I do indeed have a case of the Fridays. I don't know about your kid's school, but my kids are home today. Parent-teacher conferences. My wife did not send me to talk to the teachers. That's probably a wise move. She's handling 42 different parent-teacher conferences because that's rounding down about how many children we have. We love them all, each and every one of them very dearly. Gotten great reports back on most of them. The boy seems to be a little bit of, uh, I don't know, eighth-grade boyish, if you will. No, he's doing great, too. Jacob's doing great. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Purdue, Nebraska, got a loaded show today. We're going to talk about that. I'm joined. In just a couple of minutes by Mitch Sherman of The Athletic. Then I'm going to be joined at 1230 by former Husker great running back Dan Alexander. Then, of course, to round out the show, as always, the last 10 minutes, we've got the People's segment. As always, call or text 402-464-5685. Send me all your questions, comments, and or concerns. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am told that Mitch is on the line. Mitch is ready to go. All right, so my first guest covers Nebraska athletics for the athletic, Mr. Mitch Sherman. How you doing, my friend? Doing well, Adam. How are you? I'm glorious, dude. It's a beautiful day. I didn't have to do parent-teacher conferences. Instead, I get to talk Nebraska football and Husker sports, so my life is great. All right. That sounds good. I was at parent-teacher conferences last night, so I know I know uh, your situation. And I know that you've got lots of parent-teacher conferences on your potential schedule, <laughs> so... Missing yeah, any just, one is a good opportunity. Or maybe, yeah, maybe just, you don't view it that way. Well, I don't, I don't view it that way. I view it as I get to talk Husker football and she gets to deal with any potentially unhappy teachers. Uh, and that, Actually, they were all pretty happy. So I guess our kids are doing a good job. My wife is obviously doing something right. But let's talk a little bit of uh, Nebraska football here. Ryan Walters, all right, former CU buff. And I didn't, actually didn't know this till I saw the clip. He played my last game in Memorial Stadium. 2006 all right apparently josh mueller ran him over just a little bit i saw the clip we're gonna go with he ran him over and apparently he's not too fond of the n on the helmet what are your thoughts of Purdue's head coach first year head coach ryan walters and his uh disdain dislike discomfort however you want to phrase it for nebraska football well first of all he's a great defensive mind and you see the work that he did with brett bielema at illinois last year and and turning illinois into a team that I think performed better, at least until late in the season, than anyone expected coming out of Champaign. I mean, that was a, a surprise of the Big Ten West, if not the entire Big Ten, the way that Illinois uh, ran through portions of its schedule. So Ryan Walters parlays that into a head coaching opportunity at Purdue when Jeff Brom went home to Louisville after last season. Uh, so, you know, that's a feather in his cap, absolutely. I've been impressed with with Ryan Walters and, and what I've seen and heard from him. You can go back to, to Big Ten media days. I thought he did a great job for his first time on the ground at that event when when surrounded by the likes of 
Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh and others, you know, like Matt Rule, who have a lot of experience, more experience than him in that kind of a setting. So fantastic coach. You know, I think he's going to get some things uh, going at Purdue and at times this year, like when Purdue played Virginia Tech, uh, when it played Illinois, his former team, team, you've seen glimpses of it. But right now they're coming to Lincoln at two and five. And as you said, Adam, he's got some grievances with Nebraska because of his Colorado background. And I, th- I thought it was interesting in looking at some of that to note that the last game of Ryan Walter's career. Now, I know it was the last game of your college career to have played against Colorado in Lincoln in 06. The last game of his playing career, period, there was no NFL for Ryan Walters. He went straight into coaching, was the 2008 Colorado-Nebraska game at Memorial Stadium. People will remember how that ended with a 57-yard field goal by Alex Henry and then Indomitian Sue's uh, touchdown on, on a on a turnover um, by CU in the final second. So it was a lot. There was a lot of pain on the CU sideline that day. The bus came to Lincoln at five and six, needed that win to make a bowl game, and he saw his playing career end right there on the turf at Memorial Stadium because of that dramatic finish. So I can understand a little bit more now how how and why he feels the way that he does about the Huskers. Pain and suffering. That's what all CU bus fans deserve, in my humble opinion. <clears throat> no offense, Matt. All right, real quick, the east sideline. A lot's been made of this. Well, a middle amount's been made of this. Why do you think Nebraska chose to be on the east sideline during the games, and how big of a deal is it? How, how important is it that we do or don't change it? What are your thoughts on this? Well, we've never, we've never heard more about what happens on the sideline and why it matters which, side, which direction your sideline faces than we have in the last week with everything that's that's gone on and just continues to mushroom at Michigan with this signal stealing uh, scandal. So now the, 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 the realization is made public. I mean, I, I've certainly heard this conversation in previous years about how it's a disadvantage for Nebraska to have its sideline at, the, at its home stadium face the press box where the visiting team has uh, coaches and staffers situated up on that sixth floor with binoculars and they can look down and, and communicate with their own sideline about what Nebraska is doing with its signals. You know, I, I don't, I think a little bit too much is made of that because as, as a, as a visiting team or as a home team, you're always positioned opposite your opponent. So if you want to have somebody on your own sideline, who's working to steal signals in game, have at it. I don't know. I mean, eyes in the press box are, are perhaps a little bit more advantageous uh, but you can always do it from your sideline. So uh, we're just hearing a lot more about this now because of all this that's happened in Michigan, which, by the way, is a different topic altogether because Michigan is alleged, not just alleged, but known, um, it would seem, based on all the information that's come out, to have bought tickets and visited uh, stadiums of their future opponents in weeks before Michigan played that team. So that's, this is, that's against the rules. Signal stealing in-game is not against the rules. Nebraska just makes it easier for its opponents by having its own sideline face the press box. The reason that Nebraska is on the east sideline is because the way Memorial Stadium is configured, the east sideline is much bigger than the west sideline. And there's more room. And Nebraska historically, as everyone, as you know, as everyone around this program knows, has historically had a large roster and will dress in excess of 100 players for a home game. So they're, they're on the West sideline. They get it. They, they would be crammed in to a smaller space than they are 
on that home east sideline. And, and the one year that Nebraska did choose to go with the west sideline, the smaller west sideline, was the, the, the COVID-shortened year in, in, in 2020, kind of as an experimental thing, just because you could spread out. You know, there were no fans in the stadium. They could, in the stadium, they could they could put their players in the front row of the of the seats behind the uh, behind the apron if if they wanted to. So Matt Rule has said that that um, you know it's not up to him. Trev Alberts has said this week that ultimately, with all the changes that are coming to Memorial Stadium in the years ahead, and you're talking about big changes with the removal of, and, and, re, and reconstruction of the entire South Stadium, Nebraska will end up on the on the West Sideline underneath the press box. So I would imagine they're going to reconfigure some things and make that west sideline just as big, if not bigger, than what the east is now. All right, so you actually chatted earlier this week. And going into it was either 05, 06, you'll know the exact year. Uh, it's fuzzy for me, even though I played. Coach Callahan had the, the pound the rock mantra for the offense. And so you and I chatted a little bit about what I remembered about, because he actually brought the big freaking gigantic rock into the meeting room. And – you know, you actually discovered that it's still around the Hawk Center. I believe you told me it's it's been moved a couple of times over the years, but it's still around mm-hmm. there. And you you were curious some of my memories. Being a defensive guy, I just took it as be physical. Uh, it didn't apply as much to me. But I'm curious because you've chatted with Dane Todd. Okay, you've chatted with a few other guys about this. What has your investigation un- uncovered about this pound the rock that is still around Memorial Stadium and its encircling areas? Right. Well, well, first, thank you for helping me out with that. You were a team captain on that 06 team, which is when The Rock debuted. Not to be confused with The Rock, <laughs> yeah, Miami yeah. alumnus, but, yep. but so this is the, the actual boulder that Bill Callahan uh, had had moved into Memorial Stadium. They found it through a construction company in Lincoln at a new neighborhood development way out on the east side of town called Waterford Estates. And The Rock's were unearthed in Minnesota and then shipped to, to, to Nebraska. Uh, and, and a couple of construction guys brought it down on a, on a dump truck hauling a trailer to Memorial Stadium in the summer of 06 as Nebraska was, was building the Osborne Athletic Complex, which houses the, the locker room. Until a month ago, that was the locker room for Nebraska football. And in 06, it was the first year of that locker room. Well, as you explained to me, and I, and I then remembered and went and looked up some details. At the end of the 05 season, Nebraska had this restore the order mantra that it, it brought out. And it, 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 you can say it helped. You can say Nebraska would have won anyway, but Nebraska went out to Colorado and won 30 to 3 in 2005 to end the season. And after the game, the players took off their jerseys and they were wearing, you guys were wearing these restore the order shirts. And it became a big deal. And you could buy restore the order shirts at Christmas that year. They were a hot holiday present as Nebraska went to the Alamo Bowl and beat Michigan in the Alamo Bowl. Um, so it was a great finish to the season with a big win over rival Colorado, which had won the North in three or four years, actually four or five years because the Buffs won the North that year too, backed into the Big 12 championship game and got obliterated by Texas 70-3 uh, to three a week after Nebraska. I remember took that. Them. Yep. So Callahan goes looking for another saying ahead of the 06 season, and he comes up with pound the rock because Nebraska didn't run it all that well in 05, despite winning eight games. And he brought this big rock in, this 3,000-pound rock from, from East Lincoln. And there it sat for 12 years outside the North, uh, the North locker room, the, the tunnel that goes to the locker room that the Huskers went past during the tunnel walk. He was fired. 
Bo Pelini came in for seven years. He was fired. Mike Riley came in for three years. He was fired. But the Rock stayed until Scott Frost came to Nebraska and said, what is this thing? And they took it and threw it out by the track uh, to the south of the Hawk Center. And there it sat for another few years until construction started on what is now the building that houses the Nebraska locker room, the Go Big Project. And somehow the rock got from that spot alongside the track to where it now sits in the bushes on the southwest corner of the Hawks building. And it's right next to Trev Albert's car, right next to his parking space. And nobody really knows why it's still there other than the fact that it's so heavy, it's hard to move. But it was a fun story to track down, and and you can read it all today. Um, Although I basically just told you everything on, on, on The Athletic. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you messaged me about that, I about fell over that that thing was still around. I was like, that thing is still, I, I had no idea it was still around. I had no idea where it was. I'd kind of forgotten about it, but the instant like somebody mentioned something to you you haven't thought about for years, it comes right back to you. Like I remembered everything about Callahan's speech and I remembered everything. And I was like, that thing is still, I couldn't believe it. It's because nobody wants to pick up that stupid thing and move it. It's like 3,000 pounds. That's crazy. So uh, I found that interesting when you hit me up about that earlier this week all right now i got an important question for you all right cooper Dijon's punt return for a game-winning touchdown called back versus minnesota now the real question is how bad is iowa's offense they had two total yards of offense in the second half versus minnesota and they're 130th in the entire country in total offense averaging 232 yards per game and here's another thing the big 10 west uh, apparently we don't believe in scoring points because I went and looked, and if you look between the teams that are ranked from 100th to 130th in the country in total offense, there's eight teams in the Big Ten. Six of them are the Big Ten West. So apparently the most explosive offense in the Big Ten West is Wisconsin, who's a whopping 76th in the country in total offense. Mm. Why does the Big Ten West struggle? Iowa, everybody struggles so much on, on offense. Why do you think that is? Well, the teams of the Big Ten West got together apparently before the season without any of us knowing and, and decided that they needed to go out this year with a, with just a classic Big Ten West kind of season. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of a bang, so to speak. Ultimate exaggeration of <laughs> Big Ten West football that we've seen since this division was created. And with the four Pac-12 teams coming into the league next year, there will no longer be divisions. And you're not going to have to take a sad champion from the Big Ten West who can't score more than 20 points a game and put him up against Michigan or Penn State or Ohio State in the, in the Big Ten championship. It'll just be the two best teams, the top two teams. And if that's a rematch, then so be it. If it's a rematch of, of, from, from Thanksgiving weekend, so be it. And, and that's, that's probably best for, for the, the, just like the sanity of, of Big Ten football fans that they're going to get a matchup where, where there's, there's actually some suspense in the Big Ten championship. Since the creation of the Big Ten West, it has not, no team from the Big Ten West has won a, a, a conference championship. So I think you put all that together and, and that kind of answers it. Like these teams, they know that you won't, you've only got to play three teams from the East in any given year. And, and, and probably just one of them is going to be one of, one of the three you know, national programs. In some cases you might get two if you're unlucky. 
But basically, you can get by and you can have a good season in the Big Ten West without a great offense. So these coaches recruit to that kind of kind of um, dynamic within their program. They load up great players on defense, and you see lots of great defensive play on uh, in the Big Ten West. But they're just offensively challenged all the way around. So. Um, I, I think that in some ways has led to what we see this year with this, with the, just the terrible offense and Iowa's kind of carrying the flag for terrible offense nationally and has for a <laughs> yes. few years. But <laughs> yes. I mean, look, the two best players on Iowa's team are, are, are Cooper DeGene, who had the punt return called back and he's a mm-hmm. great defensive back. And then Tory Taylor, the punter, you know, who, yep. <laughs> who should probably yep. be a high school candidate considering yep. what Iowa does on offense and the kind of situations that it, put, it puts him in, yet he still just continues to shine. So, uh, yeah, they, they, I, I, you, can, you can crunch the numbers all you want and say, hey, there are statistically offenses out there in the Big Ten West that are worse than Iowa's. That's because, like, in scoring offense, the, the Iowa's offense gets credit for the points that its defense and its special team scores. So it's not tr- truly an indicator of how bad that offense is. It's terrible, and, you know, their starting quarterback is out. But the starting quarterback is out for Northwestern. The starting quarterback at the beginning of the year is out for Nebraska. The starting quarterback is out for Wisconsin. Yeah. So it's not like that's, a, that's, an, that's an, um, an excuse for Iowa's offense to be as bad as it is. You have next year in the Big Ten, you have three of the top five offenses in the entire country that are going to be joining our conference in Oregon, Washington, and USC. Although USC has got to find out how to protect their quarterback at some point. But we've already got, and maybe it's because the offenses are so bad, but three of the top five defenses in the entire country in Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, they can't be – the defense has got to be legit because those teams have to play each other, and those teams all have pretty decent offenses, although Penn State didn't want to throw the ball past 10 yards last Saturday against the Ohio State Buckeyes. But here's an interesting stat. Since 2017, when Baby Ferentz became the offensive coordinator at Iowa, Iowa's defense has scored more defensive touchdowns than any other team in FBS. I am certainly not – going to pretend that I root for Iowa but how good could Iowa actually be if they actually scored points on offense and not just defense and special teams and these other things that was more of a rhetorical question more of a thought here's my actual question for you okay and then I'm going to ask for your score prediction on the game and I'm going to let you get out of here will daddy Ferentz have to fire baby Ferentz at the end at the end of the season well it's not really I mean you can say everything's up to him He's the head coach, but the, in the, the, the nepotism clause or, or rule in the, in the Iowa uh, contracts or the, 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 um, the rules that govern Iowa football, Kirk Ferentz is not technically in charge of Brian Ferentz. He's supervised, the, the OC Brian is supervised by the athletic director, who until this year, was Gary Barta, and he's now retired, and Iowa has Beth Getz as an interim AD, and she is likely to get the full-time job, but it's more up to her as the athletic director, if she is the permanent athletic director after the season, on on the fate of Brian Ferentz. He has this, he has this, this strange uh, stipulation in his contract that was written in by Barta, the AD, the outgoing AD last year, that Iowa needed to average 25 points per game, 325 over 12 games in order for for Brian to to get his contract rolled over. He's not he's not out of a job necessarily if they don't get to 325. And before that mishap on the on the punt return, you could say mishap by 
by Dejean or mishap by the officials, whatever it was, you know, Iowa was, was potentially 11 and one and average like 19 or 20 points a yep. game. Mm-hmm. So they're not firing anybody if they go 11 and one. And I don't know that they're firing anybody if they go 10 and two, but we'll see where the rest of the season goes and exactly how that, how that situation unfolds and, and what happens with Brian's future. If they come in under 325. you know, to answer your question, Kirk, Kirk Ferentz is not going to get rid of his kid. Um, and I, that's, that's why it was, that's why the, the language is written the way that it was. I, you, I think you'd almost have to get rid of Kirk to get rid of Brian. You know, he might just resign or retire in protest if the, the athletic director decides not to bring back the offense, you know, Brian as offensive coordinator. Who, who knows? I don't know that I would, that I would necessarily if you want to keep Kirk, I don't know that I, and I'm in charge of that athletic department. I don't know that I would want to, to tempt him, to dare him to just walk away. If they're, if they're going to do away with the, the, the job that his son holds. D one daddy ball. I never thought I would see it. And as someone who wants Nebraska to beat Iowa every year, I hope they, I hope they keep hold on to baby fans. I personally do. They're, they're a solid program. They play great defense, great special teams, phenomenal discipline. And their offense is their weakness. And by God, if they want to hold on to them, more power to them. All right, here's my last question for you, and I thank you for joining me. What's your score prediction? Nebraska, Purdue, who you got winning? I got Nebraska by a field goal, um, maybe even a walk-off field goal. Could we see a repeat uh, at Memorial Stadium when the weather turns cold of, of what happened in the state championship, the Class A state championship last year? Uh, Tristan Alvano has, has started to turn it around and, and looked good in kicking a 47-yarder last week, so – if you've got a kick tomorrow in, in the weather that we're going to have at Memorial Stadium, then, um, you know, you're earning every yard that, that you got that you get on a punt and on a field goal. I, I think it's, a, it's definitely a close game. You know, throw Purdue's two and five record out the window. They're going to give Nebraska everything that it can handle. And Nebraska, of course, is offensively challenged um, on, on a similar level to Iowa, especially with three starting offensive linemen now out of this game because the injury suffered against Northwestern. So 17-14, Nebraska wins it on a field goal by Tristan Alvon. I like it. I like it. And I'm with you on Purdue's schedule. I looked at their schedule. They have played only one non-Power 5 team. Vatek, Syracuse, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Illinois, Iowa, Ohio State. And then the one non-Power 5 team, maybe one of the better teams they played in Fresno State, who's 6-1, and one, only got one loss all year. They played a pretty legit schedule. I think it's like top 25 strength of schedule in the country. Okay, so and, and they're coming off a bye week. So I think they're going to come out fired up. Hopefully the Huskers do the same. And uh, I don't care if it's 3-2, to 2-0, two, two to zero, or 17-14. I hope the Huskers are going to win. Thanks for joining me, Mitch. Thanks, Adam. All right, we'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.